Welcome to the One Rental at a Time podcast. This is your host, Michael Zuber. This is the show where we interview guests involved in the real estate business, from experts to newbies, wholesalers, flippers, buy and hold, apartments, commercial, notes, hard money, Airbnb, mobile homes. It doesn't matter. If you're involved in the business, we want to talk to you. This show relies on referrals and recommendations from our listeners. If you know someone we should talk to, please make a recommendation. As the author of One Rental at a Time, The Journey to Financial Freedom, I'm dedicated to helping you take your first or your next step on your real estate journey. But I need your help. We need to spread the message of One Rental at a Time Works. Please share this podcast, my YouTube channel, and of course, my book, all called One Rental at a Time. Thanks, and let's start the show. Hey, everyone. Uh, I got a, a really special guest for you today, uh, someone that I've known for quite a while now, actually someone uh, who's coached me uh, in CrossFit. Uh, I got Daniel Hung with me today. How are you doing today, Daniel? Hey, I'm good, Mike. How are you? I'm doing very well. And today's, today's going to be a lot of fun because, you know, Daniel has been very successful in his business. Uh, he has been, and been growing his, his, his training uh, quite uh, a lot lately. And he's come to me and goes, you know, he realizes he can't do that forever and he wants to kind of build wealth and legacy for his family. He's newly married. And I said, you know, I'd love to talk to you, but you know, you've got to read my book first, Daniel. Yeah. And uh, so he did because everybody I tell that to doesn't read the book. Daniel did. And I said, great. Get it, guys. If they, you don't have it yet, you need to get it. I, I appreciate that. So I thought what we'd do first, we'd just do a quick uh, book review uh, with Daniel and his feedback, right? Sort of give his background and how he came uh, to it. And then I'm going to ask a whole lot of questions. And he offered to send me the questions ahead of time. And I said, no, you're going to ask me the questions cold. Uh, so we're, <laughs> we're going to go through it. So, so Daniel, thank you for doing this. Let's jump into the book. What'd Absolutely. you think? Um, all of that. Yeah. Thanks for having me. No, um, the book was surprisingly very simple to read. I say surprisingly because I was expecting a lot more maybe of like a, from the professional standpoint that you're coming from. Mm -hmm. But for me, not having any background in investments as far as properties go, uh, properties go or um, housing. Um, you know, I'm around it all the time because just being in the Silicon Valley, that's just kind of a hot topic of people yeah. my age. I'm 34, 35 this year. And, you know, I just uh, came across it because, you know, you and I are friends and I knew you were um, actively pursuing an opportunity to retire and, you know, I was always curious, like, how is Mike pursuing that? And I, I don't know how it happened, but I think I stumbled on your YouTube <laughs> it, as a recommendation. Like, here's a video you, you would like. And I was like, wait, that's Mike. And I just, you know, seriously, though, like from the first video, um, how personable and relatable it is, because you talk about, you know, when you're younger, yeah. um, uh, needlessly spending money. Yeah. And looking back now, you know, you wish you could have spent that time a little differently. Um, but again, the book is very simple to read. Um, the video you had mentioned about maybe giving this book to a younger person or like your child to even read and write a book report on. I totally think that's reasonable, totally doable. And I think whoever reads it, uh, regardless of your background or your investment goals, you're going to get a lot of benefit from it. Oh, I, I appreciate that so much. And, I, and I'm really glad to hear that coming from you because... Um, I wrote it with your audience in mind, right? I didn't see another book for professional real estate. People have been doing it for 20 years and no cap rate and all this other freaking mm -hmm. jargon. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I wanted to write it from the perspective where I started, right? I had nothing, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, I just wanted to lay it out as plainly as I could. So I'm, I'm glad it came across that way. Yeah, it was, it's uh, awesome. And I'll probably refer back to it a lot. Uh, I'm good. I'm glad. So uh, I, I, you know, th- this is, uh, you did the work, right? I said, uh, you know, lots of people ask me for time. My standard answer now is read the book. You did. So uh, let's dive into your questions because, uh, you know, I'm glad it sparked some and uh, I look forward to seeing where this goes. Cool. Thanks. Um, the first few questions I had were kind of like to get the background of where people my age kind of might be stuck right now. Mm-hmm. So the first question is, what are some popular forms of maybe investment traps, if you call it that, that young people are getting into that might not be the most um, financially rewarding route? So let me just, so again, I, don't, I haven't had these questions, so let me just qualify that. When you say investment traps, are you referring to any kind of investment or traps specifically to real estate? Uh, any investments. Okay. That, yes. may, that might like overshadow mm-hmm. the potential opportunity that's being overlooked with investment properties. Yeah. So I think there's a couple. And, and frankly, every generation has them. Uh, for mm-hmm. me, it was the dot-com craze, right? And I had a, mm-hmm. I had a great run until yeah. it was over and I lost money, lost six figures. So uh, I think your generation wow. uh, was Bitcoin, right? Mm. I totally believe digital currencies will be a thing in the future. So don't, mm-hmm. don't take this as haterade or anything like that. Mm-hmm. I just believe that the digital currency of the future hasn't been created yet. I think it will be backed by someone big like Amazon or like Google or of like entity. Uh, so I don't think that digital currency that will become a standard for the world exists yet. And it won't exist until somebody big like that creates it. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, Bitcoin has gotten hit. It's, it's bounced a little bit this year. But I saw the craziness when Bitcoin was over 20,000 and people were taking, you know, their retirement funds and throwing at it. I'm like, God, this is such the dot com thing. And just to work clear, right, this has been going on for hundreds of years, right? There was the tulip mania way back when in like the 1600s or whatever it was where tulip bulbs, for whatever reason, really popular. So um, anytime there's this just crazy energy out there and people with no expertise go, you must have this, this is a no-lose situation, run away, right? right. Anytime somebody says this is a no-lose situation, uh, and I say this coming from the dot-com craze when there was pets.com and you know, grocery store and webcam or web van or whatever it was, um, I run away from those situations. They're, they're, mm-hmm. They should frighten you to death when any 20-some-year-old who's done no investing says it's a can't-lose situation because, mm-hmm. trust me, there, there's something there. You, you'll lose. Yeah. Okay. Sounds good. Um, the other question I had, kind of diving into the book now, is uh, you're a huge proponent about never hanging on to alligator properties. Oh, and I really nice. like that firm because, or that term because it just uh, helps create, in my mind, um, you know, it, it would be totally a waste to have a negative cash flow yeah. uh, every month. And so my question was, why do people hang on to these properties? And uh, you mentioned too that you need to be patient. You're playing the long game. Yeah. But where's the balance that you strike as far as, you know, um, yeah. these alligator properties? So, you know, we're, we're right now, we're probably... 10 miles apart, probably eight miles right from where our homes are, you know, geographically. And in this circle, this bubble that you and I live in, um, 
properties don't cash flow, mm-hmm. right? It, you know, certainly bought at today's prices. But what people do in this market in the Silicon Valley is they bet on appreciation. So what they tell themselves mm-hmm. is I'm going to buy a property in Mountain View or Sunnyvale or wherever. And sure, it's going to be negative $750 a month or negative a thousand, but it's going to appreciate 10% and it'll be worth 200 grand more next year. And I'll just get all my money back then. I'll refi, whatever. And frankly, that works until it doesn't, right? The last five years have been a seller's market, meaning if you put a property on the market, it's sold and it probably sold over asking. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've lived through the most painful downfall or crash. And I saw people worth $10 million be bankrupt in nine months. Think about that. You're worth uh, eight figures, that's... not seven, eight and you're bankrupt in nine months because you have alligator properties that eat you alive. So the reason I created alligator properties is because I had a very good friend talk about buying properties in another state and being proud of the fact that he could afford $1,000 negative. And he knew they were negative and he still bought them. The crash happened and he lost them. And I went, I'm not gonna, you know, I need to create something more painful. So I created the alligator. I've created my logo, which you saw in the book, right? An alligator Mm -hmm. eating bag fulls of money and gold coins and, because I want you to realize if you have an alligator, you have to feed that thing every month. Even in the mm-hmm. best months, it's going to take money from you and that's not okay. So when you see me do calculations or anything, I do not calculate appreciation at all. It's mm-hmm. not a consideration. Now, yes, properties appreciate and if you buy them right, you get it at a discount and all that stuff. But no, I don't want, I want, I don't want any of the people that follow my stuff to think about that. That's all extra, mm-hmm. you know, that's whipped cream and, and peanuts, right? Or, or nuts. Mm-hmm. Um, I want the property to cash flow the day I have it uh, or any investor following me that has to cash flow. I don't want any extra Excel math to make a mm-hmm. bad investment look good. So mm-hmm. an alligator property or no alligator properties is very, very important for me. It's in fact the most important thing I teach because we're in the Silicon Valley and I can't tell you how many people I talk to go, but my, my property appreciated 8%. And like, well, then only, you know, did you sell it? Well, no, I didn't sell it. Well, then it didn't really appreciate, right? Because that, that's yes, unrealized gain. And, and I saw the crash and I saw people were 10 million bucks, lose it all. It, it, was, it was heartbreaking. That's crazy. So you had mentioned right there about like maybe um, fiddling numbers on your Excel spreadsheet. Is that what you mean by finessing your, your spreadsheet in the book? Yeah, exactly what I mean, right? Because when you do a, yeah. like, like when you, when you map out like, hey, the property is going to you know, rent for a thousand and then the mortgage payments 500 and then taxes and insurance is 200 and repairs is 200 and pretty soon it's break even, right? You, you make a thousand, you spend a thousand. What some people then do is they go in and they start adjusting the numbers fictitiously. Oh, well maybe my repairs won't be so bad or maybe the taxes will be lower. But if you have to beat up the Excel spreadsheet to make the property look good, just go get a different property. That, that one's no good or lower the price, right? There's always two equations to this and that's what that's, that's why it's important for me to have people understand what their buying criteria is because if they want to buy and make 7% on their money, well, great. And if you know all the variables, you can calculate the price that you can offer. And it's probably not the asking price, right? If the asking price is 200, but your 7% return says you have to buy it at 175, well, guess what? Your maximum offer is 175. List price is just a number, right? It mm-hmm. doesn't mean you have to offer it. Right. Um, so yeah, that's, that's a big deal for me. Mm-hmm. Um, the next question, um, so the, the, I'm really interested about the thought process or some of the conversations, the serious conversations that you and Olivia have had, especially when it came to that first rental property 
where you were facing a lot of drama. So what were some things that you guys um, worked together as a team that got you through that challenging point? Yeah, so there's, there's lots of points. I'm glad you're asking this question because as you saw in the book, I am so much behind sitting on the couch and getting on the same page with your significant other, in this case, your wife, mm-hmm. and, um, or not even bother starting because if you run into that bad situation and we'll talk about mm-hmm. it in a minute, um, you're gonna get, it's gonna be an uncomfortable fight and, and mm-hmm. it's gonna hurt both of you. So as far as Olivia and I, we, we were on board um, before we invested a single dollar. That, that's paramount, right? We, we both knew that we wanted to be free. We both knew that we were not in a situation where we were going to get stock money wealth or create a company or we're not athletes, you know. So we didn't see any other way uh, to retire early, right? And we didn't want to do the whole let's work for 40 years for someone else and, you know, when we're 80, let's go travel the world, right? We wanted to take a shot at being done early. So that was number one. Number two, then we agreed that real estate investing was the way to go. Again, lockstep. And then three, we picked Fresno, right? We were in step the whole way together. Now, as you mentioned, we, we bought a property after spending a year looking for something that we were so excited, right? And uh, then we got it for the price we wanted. It rented fast. It, we, we tenant checked. We did credit checks. We, we verified income. We did referrals. We did everything right. And then the couple broke up. Mm-hmm. Right, the wife left, and then the, the the gentleman turned to the bottle and and just started destroying our house. And in California, it takes a lot to evict someone. I truly believe that ninety percent of the people would have never bought a second property, because it, it we ended up losing four months of rent. We had to spend an extra fifteen grand that we didn't want to, uh, repairing what he destroyed. And um, I truly believe most people would have sold that property at a loss. Called real rental properties a waste of time. But because Olivia and I were together, and I wasn't sure until this time, right? I knew we'd walked that path I just outlined. But when we finally got that individual out, I'm like, okay. I'm, back in my head, I'm thinking Olivia is going to say, sell that thing. Or she's going to say, repair it and sell that thing. We're done, right? Because mm-hmm. Fresno's two and a half hours away. But she's like, nope, let's, take it, let's stick a new tenant in. You know, let, let's, hope that, let's hope that doesn't happen again. And mm-hmm. uh, let's keep going forward. And, and that was the day that I knew that you know, nothing would make, nothing would stop us, right? We would do one rental at a time until we were done. And again, that story ends well because that property, the next tenant that moved in never left, paid rent every month. And we ended up selling it for 265 or 267 or whatever it was. And uh, we moved our money into an an apartment building we still own today. So it ends well. uh, But yeah, man, it started rough. And I got to tell you, I wasn't, even though we talked all the time, I wasn't sure until that moment yeah, that, um, she was on board as I was. So um, she gets a lot of credit for, for hanging in there and, 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 you know, moving forward. That's awesome. Yeah, that's a great example of teamwork. And you guys definitely got stronger together through yeah. that fire. Yeah, oh, for sure. Yeah, we've, the relationship was bonded and forged, you know, metal on metal, right? You get yeah, stronger. You exactly. Know? That's awesome. Um, the next question, you talk about a 50 property spreadsheet. Um, and I was curious as to how do you go about organizing kind of the criteria for that? Like what, what are some things I should be thinking about or someone that's kind of just getting into it? Yeah. So one, so yeah, let's, let's sort of set that up. So in the book, I talk about doing your homework, right? Because Mm -hmm. I truly believe that you as an investor, one of the first things you have to do is you have to get a foundation for your area. So let's just, I forget what zip code are you in? What, what, where do you live? Uh, Sunnyvale 94087. Yeah. So let's just pick nine, three. Nine, three, nine, four, what? 
What is it? 94087. I'm going to have to write that down. 940. So let's just say, for example, you wanted to buy an investment property in 94087, right? That mm -hmm. was, for whatever reason, that was your market. This mm -hmm. is what I would tell you to do. I would say, okay, so you've picked your area, right? You picked your zip code. Now pick your property type, right? Do you want single family home, condo, multifamily? Mm -hmm. What do you want? Let's just right. say you pick single family home. Then I say, mm -hmm. okay, let's, let's go pick bread and butter. So in your market, that's a three bedroom, two bath, two car garage, between 1,100 square feet and 1,500 square feet, right? So you, you build the bookends of your target. And then what mm -hmm. I want you to do is I want you to go to realtor.com and I want you to put that criteria in. Zip code, single family homes, the small size 1,100, big size 14, minimum bedrooms three, maximum bedrooms four, two bath, two car garage. And that's gonna produce a list. It's gonna mm -hmm. be 20 to 50. I want you to take all those addresses down in a spreadsheet because what you're trying to do is you're trying to build the math. So it's going to be, it's going to be just the standard stuff. It's not sophisticated. The address, so you can look back up on it. You can look on Zillow, whatever you want to do. Uh, square footage, um, bathrooms, um, bedrooms, parking, was it carport, garage, street parking, whatever. Price. Um, then you're going to be talking with property managers to get rents because maybe some parts of um, 087 are higher or lower. It's going to be those things. And what you're doing is you're really going to, then you can sort that, right? And it's all about your foundation. You go, the lowest price, three bedroom, two bath in 087 is 1.1. The highest is 1.8. Now, why are they different? Well, the 1.8 has been remodeled in the last five years. The other one's a flat roof, never been touched. Well, okay. All right. Then you can just start gathering your facts because what I'm trying to give you is what I have now. I can look at the zip codes that I hunt in and I can scroll through the list in like 12 seconds. Maybe it's 60 seconds and go, oh, that's a new listing. That's better or worse. Because what you want to do once you have your foundation is you want to be able to rank the stuff that you see. Is it in the top 10%? Is it in the middle? Or is it um, too expensive? Because your job is to go, that's an average deal. Here's a good deal. And here's a great deal. And your job is to act on the great deal. And you can't do that just by looking at the MLS once or looking at realtor.com or Zillow or Redfin. And you shouldn't rely on someone else. This is another thing. If you go to an agent and you say, hey, give me everything in 087 that's 11 to 1400 square feet, three to four bedrooms, they're going to give it to you with no context, right? Mm -hmm. You need to be able to look at this and go, um, here's an average deal, here's a good deal, and here's a great deal. And you can't do that until you've done your homework. Mm -hmm. That makes Got sense? It. Yeah, that makes sense. Thanks. Mm -hmm. um, the, the Ferris Drive property, that, I found that really interesting. What was the uh, actual listing price for... The one that I bought, I believe yeah. I bought that at 123. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that, then, go ahead. Oh no, go ahead. Yeah. I was going to say Ferris Drive for those who haven't yet read the book was a two family. So it was a house in the front house in the back uh, that was not advertised well. And it took mm -hmm. some digging to figure all that out. Uh, so it was, it was a, I think it was a second or third property we bought for 123. So go ahead. Yeah. And then um, what do the year terms mean? Like the five-year term, 10-year ah. terms? So um, depending on the financing, and I think we're referring to the second in this case. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what happened is it was like a balloon payment, right? Yeah. So I borrowed, I forget what it was, 15 or 20 grand. Uh, I paid him 6% interest only. So after five years, I had to pay him as 20 grand. Oh, got it. So it's, it's a balloon payment, right? Got Sometimes it. you'll hear 30-year term. That's a little bit different. That's 30-year amortization. So basically at mm -hmm. the end of 30 years, the loan is free. There's no balloon. But what mm -hmm. you're referring to is a five-year interest-only loan with a, balloon, mm -hmm. with a balloon due in 60 months or five years. Mm -hmm. Got it. 
Um, when market prices go up and then rent prices start to flatten, mm-hmm. uh, what are things to be careful about? Is that like an 80% panic mode or Oof. is it like, oh, how does man. that work? Or what are, would... what's the right view to have? Yeah. So what you're referring to is, is what we experienced kind of 04 to 07, 08. And specifically Norris Drive, we'll use it as an example because it, I think it's in the book, is we bought Norris Drive for 107 grand. It rented for 1100. We were super excited. We ended up selling that thing four years later for 265 or 267, and it still rented for 1100. That's a red flag. So um, I would certainly pay attention to when prices are skyrocketing and rents are not moving. That that's a warning sign. It's it's like a it's a yellow flag. Uh, the bigger deal for me, and I think I talk about it in the book, is the affordability, right? Because mm-hmm. When the affordability on that house, you know, when, when that Norris Drive went to 265, less than 10% of Fresno, right, the average income could afford to buy it. That's the big red flag. But yeah, if you have prices go up like three years in a row and rents aren't moving, it, it's time to check things for sure. That's a good, that's a good catch. Um, the proceeds that came from the 1031s, mm-hmm. were they always one-to-one? as far as finance or um, putting money down for the next property that you had lined up? That's a good question. No, they were not always one-to-one. Uh, and just, um, right, so a 1031 exchange, I sell a house, we'll call it Norris Drive. Um, I can't touch the money, right? It's, it's held by an intermediary. So whatever my profit was on Norris Drive, let's just call it 150 grand. Um, I could take that 150 grand and, dis- and dispose of it to one asset or two or three or four. It's my choice, my call. Uh, how to do that. So you can do one to many acquisitions for sure. As long as the, there's some rules around 1031, the acquisition price has to be higher than what you sold and things of that nature. But I could absolutely take the proceeds and put it into to two buildings, for example. Hmm, interesting. But they're not always one to one. You kind of have to be selective with how you use that. Yeah. 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 You would. Uh, I have known people, I've known a couple of people going one to four, right? They, they sold one mm-hmm. house in California and bought four in Florida. It's a guy I know oh. did that. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, um, you can do whatever you'd like, uh, as the person, as the, um, as the seller, um, you're going to be exchanging into assets and it does not have to be one-to-one. Mm-hmm. Got it. Um, in the, in light of the 08 crash, mm-hmm. um, you talked about diversifying or, um, the question I had was about diversifying your portfolio yep. um, at, with a minimum of one to two multi-unit properties. Is that something that you would advise looking back now? Um, yeah, I mean, again, the answer is yes, but it's, it, there's kind of a reason for that, mm-hmm. right? So, so let's go back to 08. What really collapsed? It was the mm-hmm. residential lending market collapsed. That's really what caused it. Now, a happenstance to residential lending is houses fell off a cliff. Uh, and then there were no new buyers and nobody was lending. Um, what was protected was multifamily. And now let's be clear about multifamily. It was five units and above. So a duplex was hit just as hard as a house. A fourplex was hit just as hard as a house because the financing for a fourplex is the same financing as a house, which, mm-hmm. which a lot of people don't know. But if you mm-hmm. go to five units, it is then a commercial loan in Fresno, the only market I know in great detail, you'll need to put 35 or 40% down to get a commercial loan. So there's real skin in the game from the borrower. And yes, mm. those fell in value, 
but they rented more and the cash flow went up. So it, it really wasn't a bad deal. Uh, but, but in today's market, I just look for the best deal, right? I, I look for the yield on my money or the return on my money. If the house is the best return, great. If an apartment's the best return, great. I would tell you in today's market, you know, depending on, so again, today is, you know, February, 2019, cause it could change. I think apartments are overvalued. I think there's too many people looking for units, which is exactly the opposite of 08. In 08, everybody wanted a house because you could get into a house for zero down. Today, people are going, I'm going to syndicate. I'm going to borrow money from a bunch of rich people and buy an apartment building. I want to be, I'm going to be the next, um, you know, Donald Trump or whatever. And, um, you know, I think apartments are overpriced today. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, I got, got the, the five minute warning. I got the five minute <laughs> warning. <laughs> All right. Um, the last couple of questions. Um, when taking stock of your investments, um, how, what's the proper way to do that, do you feel, as an, investor, as an experienced investor? So just so we're clear, when you say investor, you mean property or, or collectively in your portfolio? Collectively in your portfolio. Um, I think you need to look at your investments with a couple of lenses. When you, when, first off, when you make an investment, you should know one of two things. Is this a long-term investment? Now, for me, long-term is 10 years, right? Is this, mm-hmm. Am I putting this capital work for 10 years or greater? Or is this short-term? And again, for me, that's 10 years or less, right? Because if it's 10 years or less, I'm likely going to have a number in mind when I want out, right? Mm-hmm. If I buy a stock or I buy this or that or whatever, mm-hmm. if it gets to that number, I'm done, right? If it gets there in mm-hmm. seven days or seven years, I'm out. If, if it's a 10-year investment and I'm keeping it locked up, I think about it that way. Um, you know, so there's some property I buy with the intent to, you know, if it doubles, I'm out. And there's others I'm like, no, I'm going to die and, and give this uh, to Teresa, our daughter. So um, I believe you need to have that decision before you buy it. And I think a lot of investors don't. I think they buy an investment. Like I know somebody who bought Amazon like six months ago when it was high because he wanted to day trade it or he wanted to be in and out in 30 days. Then it lost 25%. He's like, oh, I guess it's a long-term hold now. I'm like, God, that's just the wrong mindset. That, when you do that, you keep your losers longer and you don't, you don't hold on to your winners and you're just guaranteed over the long term to lose money. So I believe before you make one investment, you should decide, is, it, uh, is this less than 10 years? And if it is, put a number when you sell. And if it's over 10 years, then it doesn't matter, right? You're investing for different reasons. So that's, that's my advice. Got it. And then um, I guess this is my last question. Oh. But it, since I'm a... I'm a newlywed. Yes. Um, what are some other challenges being uh, in work and working so closely with your significant other? Uh, is there some advice you would give, especially going into investment with properties? Yeah, I would, I would strongly, strongly suggest over communicate, never assume, mm-hmm. right? Because uh, as a newlywed, um, you know, you've just begun changing, right? You are a single mm-hmm. man where you, you were, you know, you were, you, you, and if I was talking to a woman, it'd be the same thing, right? You were, you were thinking about yourself. Now you have a, an additional responsibility. And often what happens sometimes in, in a newlywed relationship, there's a kid somewhere down the path. And then there's another thing to think about. Um, so mm-hmm. as, you're, as you're looking to make investments, um, you need to over-communicate. Um, just over, over-communicate. Because if there's any miscommunications or not, I mean, it should come to a point where your significant other goes, I get it. Stop talking to me. I mean, it, it should be the, to that level uh, because you're going to take, you know, in any investment, you're going to take 20, 30, 40, 50 grand. You're going to put it somewhere and it won't be accessible. Some people, mm-hmm. um, 
get nervous, right? Oh my God, I don't have the money in the bank. When I look at my bank statement, I'm nervous. And what happens to this? And what happens to that? Right? If you, if you buy something as an investment and then suddenly your significant other gets nervous because your cash reserves are half what they used to be, you don't want to find that out after the fact. Then you're just guaranteed mm -hmm. to lose money because you're going to feel like an idiot and you got to sell your asset and just the transaction costs will kill you. Mm -hmm. um, so just over-communicate, man. Just over-communicate. That's awesome. Yeah. No, I appreciate that, Z. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. So again, I want to thank you for reading the book, uh, Daniel. Uh, you'll, you'll be amazed at how many people ask for my time. I tell them, hey, you read this book, which took like two and a half, three hours, and they don't do it. So, um, and you went out and bought the book. It's not like I gave it to you either. So, oh yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> That's Subscribe to your YouTube. Yeah, and definitely. And then the next thing I do is get the book. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing your your story, and it's it's very encouraging. It really is. Yeah, and I didn't I didn't start much younger than you. I think I was thirty one. So, mm -hmm. uh, you know, you're on your path. You're doing great things. You you've you've done something that I didn't do. You have saved more money at your age than I had. Uh, I had 40% of what you have put away. So you are in a great shape to do some pretty cool stuff. So good for you. I'm excited. I'm looking forward to it. Thank you. All right, man. We'll, we'll go have dinner. Enjoy. <laughs> Thanks. All right. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye.